Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. This is Abdul Nasser Jangda. If you enjoy and benefit from listening to our podcast, please donate to Qalam by visiting supportqalam.com. We love being able to share this content for free with you, and your donation ensures that we are always able to do so. Each podcast we produce has tens of thousands of listeners. So the opportunity for gaining immense reward by supporting this effort is endless, insha'Allah. You never know who will be able to benefit from your contributions and donations. Jazakumullahu khairan. Wassalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Bismillahi walhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillahi wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Inshallah, continuing with our study of the life of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, Asiratul Nabawiya, the prophetic biography. So, for those uh, attending here and also uh, tuning in, maybe to the live uh, session, uh, we've uh, not had the Sira class for a couple of weeks uh, due to the Umrah trip. That Alhamdulillah, we were uh, gone on and. Alhamdulillah, it was a very uh, beneficial and a very blessed experience. Uh, and of course, the nature of this particular Umrah group and Umrah trip that we take every single year is particularly themed around, built around the idea of actually studying the life of the Prophet ﷺ at the actual places and occasions where you know the life of the Prophet ﷺ occurred and unfolded and where everything basically happened. And so it's a real awesome opportunity to be able to really um, realize and experience uh, some of those events uh, from the life of the Prophet ﷺ. But nevertheless, alhamdulillah, we're back now. And it just so happens, alhamdulillah, by the plan and the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that the place where we had uh, ended the previous session was actually the conclusion of the study of Hajjatul Wida. The farewell pilgrimage. We had quite a few, quite a number of sessions in regards to the farewell pilgrimage, and we had concluded that study in the previous session. So, what we're going to be starting today is, inshallah, the 11th year of Hijrah. We're going to be starting the 11th year of Hijrah. Now, we know we've typically heard that the Prophet ﷺ resided in the city of Medina 10 years. So, where is this 11th year coming from? So, the Prophet ﷺ resided 10 years because he did not come exactly at the, he did not arrive into Medina exactly at the beginning of the calendar year, like at the first of Muharram. He arrived into Medina a little bit into that year. And similarly, <clears throat> as we're going to study and find out over the next few sessions, the Prophet ﷺ did not live the entirety of this 11th year. In fact, he did not even live half of this 11th year, but rather the Prophet ﷺ passed away in the beginning part, the first quarter of that 11th year. So technically in that sense, it's the 11th calendar year, but it still amounts to 10 years of the Prophet ﷺ's residence in the city of Medina. So I wanted to explain that from that point of view, that there's that differentiation between just the calendar year versus how much time someone has spent somewhere. And that's a pretty logical thing and most people are able to understand that and identify with that. So this 11th year of Hijrah basically began 
days after the Prophet ﷺ arrived back in the city of Medina after having performed and completed Hajjatul Wida, the farewell pilgrimage. And the Prophet, and in this particular year, there are a number of monumentous, very major, significant historical events that occur in this year in terms of Islamic history. Um, and many of those are not only in the aftermath or uh, you know, subsequent to the passing of the Prophet ﷺ, but many of the major events of Islamic history in this year transpire and occur actually as a consequence as a direct result of the passing of the Prophet ﷺ. And we'll get to all those things in its appropriate time, inshaAllah. But it goes without saying, it is very, very obvious, and I'm just stating it for the sake of clarity, and because we're all here to learn, and it's okay if somebody doesn't automatically or already previously know something. But of course, the greatest event of this particular year, and maybe one of the most major events and tragic events, of all of not just Islamic history, but all of human history occurs during this year. And that is the actual passing and departure of the Prophet ﷺ from the life of this world and from this dunya. And the Prophet ﷺ, this is something Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about within the Qur'an. Like in Surah Al-Duha, all the way at the beginning of the prophethood of Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has stated at that time that the hereafter and what comes afterwards is undoubtedly better and superior than that which came before meaning the life of the hereafter is better than the life of this world and very soon your lord shall grant you something that will bring you great satisfaction and pleasure and fulfillment and contentment. And the Prophet ﷺ, basically from that day forward, the Prophet ﷺ worked tirelessly. He exhausted himself and he expended all of his energy in propagating the message of God and spreading the message of Islam and establishing the deen, the religion of God that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had sent him with. We also talked about, and it's appropriate to mention it here, because what I would like to talk about in today's session, in today's uh, portion that we'll be covering, is some of the verses of the Qur'an, and some of the statements of the Prophet ﷺ, all which referenced and alluded to, they were all basically revealed either a little bit prior to where we're talking about right now, towards from the second half of the 10th year of Hijrah, up until the departure of the Prophet ﷺ, there are many fascinating verses of the Qur'an that were revealed that were all alluding to the departure of the Prophet ﷺ. Some of them were revealed prior to that, and we'll talk about that as well. And the Prophet ﷺ made numerous statements and had certain experiences that all were alluding to the departure and the end of the time of the Prophet ﷺ in this world. There is the very well-documented narration, the authentic narration in which the Prophet ﷺ, Umar bin al-Khattab anhu, he narrates that the verse of the Qur'an, الْيَوْمَ أَكْمَلْتُ لَكُمْ دِينَكُمْ وَأَتْمَمْتُ عَلَيْكُمْ نِعْمَتِي وَرَضِيتُ لَكُمُ الْإِسْلَامَ دِينًا 
that this verse of the Qur'an from Surah Al-Ma'idah, verse number 3 from Surah Al-Ma'idah, Surah number 5, in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Today I have completed for you your religion. And one a side note, I don't want this to turn into more uh, of an in-depth uh, tafsir session, there's nothing wrong with that, but that's not the focus of our session here today. But just a little bit of uh, notes that I want to point out here. This verse is so beautifully empowering. It is such an empowering verse because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Al-Yawma Akmaltu. Well, first of all, Allah is speaking in the first person, which is very personal, very powerful. And then He says, Al-Yawma Akmaltu Lakum. Today I have completed for you. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Deenakum, your religion. Even though we know it's a religion of Allah, Inna Deena Indallahi Islam, Deen Allah. It is the religion of God. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala calls it your religion. That this is your responsibility. This is your job. This is for you now. So go forward with it. Take care of it. Nourish it. Nurture it. You know, propagate it. Spread it. Establish it. Live by it. So today I have, Allah said, today I have completed for you your religion. وَاتْمَمْتُ عَلَيْكُمْ نِعْمَتِي And I have completed upon you my blessing, Allah says. وَرَضِيتُ لَكُمُ الْإِسْلَامَ دِينًا And I have chosen for you Islam as a way of life, as a religion. That this was revealed on the day of Friday, while the Prophet ﷺ was standing at the place of Arafat during the Hajj. And similarly, it is also narrated in uh, the Musannaf of Ibn Abi Shayba and by Imam Al-Tabari in his tafsir, that Umar bin Al-Khattab radiallahu ta'ala anhu, when he heard the Prophet ﷺ recite this verse to them at the occasion of Hajj, Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he started to cry. He started to cry. Someone said to him, Mayubkik, what makes you cry? And he said at that time, إِنَّهُ لَيْسَ بَعْدَ الْكَمَالِ إِلَّا What comes after completion? Other than deficiency. Like it's like saying that something has reached its peak and its pinnacle. And the only way to go from here is down. And so it made him cry because he realized that something not so pleasant is on the horizon. And yes, of course, that this is not to make us, uh, this is not a defeatist mentality, or this is not to make us pessimistic, but none of us have any qualms about the idea that no time is better than the time of the Prophet No gathering is better than the gathering of the Prophet No prayer would be better than the prayer you offered with the Prophet no friend is better than the Prophet ﷺ. No teacher is better than the Prophet ﷺ. So it's just that realization that wow, like just a little idea, a thought, a glimpse, a notion of the fact that there is a such thing as life after the Prophet ﷺ. And that made him shudder. That sent chills down his spine and made him cry. And this is Umar radiallahu ta'ala There are a few other things that I've mentioned as we've gone through the different sessions. And I want to just kind of accumulate them here very quickly. But 
we also had talked about in the hadith of Sahih Muslim, narrated by Jabir bin Abdullah radiallahu ta'ala anhu, that as the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he was tossing the pebbles, the stones, casting the stones at the big pillar at the occasion of Hajj, the Jamrah, that the Prophet said, Khudu anni manasikakum. Learn from me how to perform Hajj. And then he says, Fala'ali la ahujju ba'da ami hada. Because it is very likely that I will not perform Hajj after this year. All these hints were being dropped. Not only that, but Abdullah bin Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu narrates in the report mentioned by mentioned in the Musnad of Bazar and the Sunan of Imam al-Bayhaqi, he mentions Abdullah bin Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu that the surah Ida Ja'a Nasrullahi wal Fathu. That when the help of God and victory comes, and you see the people flocking and entering into the religion of Allah in waves, afwajah. So praise and glorify your Lord and seek His forgiveness. Now undoubtedly He is the most gracious acceptor of people's repentance and forgiveness. That this surah was revealed upon the Prophet ﷺ during the days of Tashriq. The days of Tashriq are the days that are spent at the place of Mina towards the end of Hajj. That during those days at the place of Mina, the surah came down upon the Prophet ﷺ. And when the surah was revealed upon the Prophet ﷺ, he summoned for his camel Al-Qaswa. He boarded the camel and he went out into an open area in Mina. And he asked for all the Muslims, the companions to gather. And then he addressed them at the place of Mina. And that's why we know, in the, you know much after the passing of the Prophet ﷺ, there's a very, very famous narration that is mentioned that talks about how during the Khilafah, during the Khilafah, during the uh, Caliphate, the, 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 the time when Umar bin al-Khattab radiallahu ta'ala anhu was leading the Muslim Ummah, was governing over the Muslim lands, that he used to have a special council. You know, the most senior, knowledgeable, wise, experienced, intelligent of the Muslims that he would consult with. And one of the people whom he used to include within that gathering, within that council, was a young man who we all know very well, Abdullah bin Abbas who was the cousin of the Prophet and a very young man. He was a teenager when the Prophet a late teenager, young man, when the Prophet passed away. And Umar bin, Umar bin al-Khattab, so Abdullah bin Abbas is 20 or in his early 20s, and he would include him within this council. And there were very senior people there, senior companions, 50, 60, 70, 80 year olds, very experienced people. And some of them kind of felt, not necessarily negative, but they were curious. You know, how or why this young man is included within this gathering. And Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu came to kind of, you know, sense this curiosity, this curiosity. 
on the part of the other council members. So one day, Abdullah ibn Abbas radiallahu ta'ala anhuma, he says, I was also a very astute, observant person. He's a very intelligent person. So he said he had kind of sensed and picked up on so maybe tension that was there. So he said, I used to sometimes kind of shy away from being there and attending. So it was one of those days where he convened the council and he said, I was kind of hiding around the corner. And he specifically asked for me, he said, where is Abdullah? Where is Abdullah ibn Abbas? So I very reluctantly came forward and I knew, I kind of sensed, I knew him very well. And I kind of sensed that he was going to be trying to make some type of a point. So he, once I came, he basically recited the surah. And then he asked that, he asked the members of the council, what do you understand from this particular surah? What are your reflections on the surah? And many of them mentioned, you know, the general kind of meaning of the surah. أُمِرْنَا إِذَا فُتِحَ لَنَا أَن نَذْكُرَ اللَّهَ وَنَحْمُدَهُ وَنَسْتَغْفِرَهُ So many of them said that this is God basically instructing us, teaching us that whenever you achieve victory, it is very important to remember to not gloat, to not boast, and to not kind of, you know, overindulge within that moment, but to think and to reflect, to praise God. To thank Allah and to ask Allah for forgiveness of our shortcomings. And then he turned, Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu turned to Abdullah ibn Abbas and he said, Ma taqul ya ibn Abbas? What about you? What can you share with me as a reflection from this? He said, Huwa ajalu Rasulullah He said, This surah came down announcing the near departure of the Prophet. And it was basically almost like a, an obituary, a eulogy, a eulogy of the Prophet ﷺ being delivered prior to his passing. Kind of a preparation for his departure. And Umar who said, لا أعلم منها إلا ما تعلم. That's exactly what I understand from the surah as well. That's exactly what I understand from the surah as well. So while it's a very remarkable story about the potential of young people and knowledge and understanding of the Qur'an. But I'm particularly mentioning it here for the specific point that this surah came down a few months before the passing of the Prophet ﷺ. And undoubtedly this was another one of those hints, those references that were alluding to the fact that the time of the Prophet's departure had drawn near. Now what I wanted to do was, I also wanted to talk about some of the verses, numerous verses of the Qur'an that were revealed leading up to the departure of the Prophet ﷺ, which were also alluding to this. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-Zumar, in verses 30 and 31, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed to the Prophet ﷺ, إِنَّكَ مَيِّتٌ وَإِنَّهُمْ مَيِّتٌ No doubt, you will soon pass. You will die. وَإِنَّهُمْ مَيِّتٌ And these other people will die as well. ثُمَّ إِنَّكُمْ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ عِنْدَ رَبِّكُمْ تَخْتَصِمُونَ 
And then on the day of judgment, all of you in front of your Lord will make your cases. That meaning the people that you have conflict with, O Messenger, you do your job. Because know that your time is limited in this world. So you have to leave. And they also have to leave as well. And if they don't come around and they don't change their ways, no worries, everyone will get the opportunity to stake their case before God. And He will establish justice. Again, alluding to the idea that you, you are about to leave. In another surah, Surah Al-Anbiya, surah number 21, ayahs 34 and 35, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said to the Prophet Personally, just like in this verse as well, in Nakha, you will die. Allah said, وَمَا جَعَلْنَا لِبَشَرٍ مِنْ قَبْلِكَ الْخُلْدَةِ We never gave any human being before you eternal life in this world. No human being before you, O Muhammad, O beloved, وسلم, no human being before you live forever in this world. That if you die, do these people think they will live forever? Every single soul tastes death. And one thing that again, not to divert away from the topic of discussion, but just these gems from the Qur'an that are very beneficial. One thing very profound is a lot of times the verse is translated, not wrongly, but the verse is often translated colloquially as every soul shall taste death. And while that is true, the verse is actually very specific in its word, word usage. The way the verse is constructed is in the nominal form, which basically not only says every soul shall taste death, but rather it's saying every soul is tasting death. And that's alluding to the idea that as every single second minute ticks by, we are inching closer and closer to the time where we depart and leave this world. It's chipping away. It's like the, 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 the sands, you know, in an hourglass, just passing through. It's slowly trickling away. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَنَبَلُوكُمْ بِالشَّرِي وَالْخَيْرِ فِتْنَةً And we shall test you through good and bad times as a test, as a tough test of your faith. وَإِلَيْنَا تُرْجَعُونَ And to us alone are all of you not only going to return, but are returning. And that's the whole idea. Every minute that goes by, we get closer and closer to the moment where we stand before Allah. And that's why we work towards that. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala similarly, He said, and this was actually revealed eight years, or rather, excuse me, seven years prior to this moment in the battle of Uhud. And we're gonna come back to this verse later on in one of the upcoming sessions where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Ali Imran, Surah number 3, ayah number 144, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, وَمَا مُحَمَّدٌ إِلَّا رَسُولٌ Muhammad is but a messenger. Meaning Muhammad is a messenger. And it's not saying that in a reductive way, but it is also stating a reality. Muhammad is a messenger. Why is that important to note? قَدَ خَلَتْ مِنْ قَبْلِهِ الرُّسُلُ 
There are many messengers before him who came and left. They passed. Afa But if Muhammad was to die or even be killed, as many had feared for a short while in the battlefield of Uhud, in Allah asks a rhetorical question. He says, Would you turn back on your heels? Would you really do that? And whosoever will turn back on their heels, meaning will give up everything, then that person does not harm God. You don't do anything, any harm to Allah. Meaning, the implication is, you only harm yourself. And very soon, Allah shall show the reward of the grateful people. The people who are grateful, the people who remember their blessings, and the people who stand firm on their faith, Allah shall reward them very, very soon. They will see the reward of their Lord. And then of course, like we talked about, إِذَا جَاءَ Nasrullahi was also revealed at this time. Umar bin al-Khattab, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, Abdullah bin Umar, excuse me, Abdullah bin Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he also says that when the surah إِذَا جَاءَ Nasrullah came down at the time of Hajj, he says, عَرَفَ رَسُولَهِ صَلَّى He said, I, now that I think back, and when that surah was revealed and the Prophet recited the surah to us, now that I think back, I can recall a look on the face of the Prophet that when that surah came down, he realized that this was his farewell. That this was his farewell. Similarly, the Prophet ﷺ, and this is something we're going to talk about later, but the Prophet ﷺ, Every single Ramadan, every single Ramadan since the Prophet's arrival in the city of Medina, since the Hijrah, there was a tradition that was established. And we practice that tradition, we carry on and commemorate that tradition every Ramadan till today. The tradition that was established was that every single Ramadan, the angel Jibreel alayhi salam used to come to the Prophet ﷺ every single day in Ramadan. And they would recite to one another whatever had been revealed from the Qur'an up until that particular point. And throughout the month of Ramadan, they would go through the entirety of what had been revealed up to that point. So let's say half the Qur'an had been revealed. Throughout the month of Ramadan, every single day they would have sessions. كَانَ Sunni Jibril. That basically, the Prophet ﷺ would recite whatever that half of the Qur'an that had been revealed up to that point to Jibreel, and Jibreel would also recite it to the Prophet ﷺ as a way to review the Qur'an. And then every year, of course, the Qur'an kept, you know, more of the Qur'an had come down, and they would go through all of it, through all of it, through all of it. The last Ramadan of the Prophet ﷺ, the majority of the Qur'an had come down, and the majority of the Qur'an was recited back and forth, from the Prophet ﷺ to Jibreel and to Jibreel to the Prophet ﷺ. But then something very unique happened. After they went through the entirety of it once, both of them, then Jibreel ﷺ said a second time. Let's do a second round. 
a second review. And they and then the Prophet ﷺ said that وَإِنَّهُ عَارَضَنِي الْعَامَ مَرَّتَيْنَ وَمَا أَرَى ذَلِكَ إِلَّا لِإِخْتِرَابِ أَجَلِي Jibreel demanded that we go through the Qur'an a second time and we went through a second time and he said at that time I had this realization that this was for no other reason than the fact that the time of my departure had, had drawn near. Similarly, in Sahih Bukhari, Abu Huraira radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he also narrates that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, another tradition of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, that is also observed by people around the world every single Ramadan till today, was the fact that in the month of Ramadan, during the last 10 days and nights, the Prophet would confine himself to the masjid. What we know as i'tikaf. Akafa means to devote and dedicate yourself to something. That's why it's one of the words that's used for worship as well. Akifin. Alright? So i'tikaf means to confine yourself to a space for devotion and dedication. For worship. And the Prophet ﷺ would do i'tikaf, would stay in the masjid for the last 10 days and nights. And he did this every single year since arriving in the city of Medina. But then the Prophet ﷺ says, فَلَمَّا or Abu Huraira narrates, فَلَمَّا كَانَ مِنَ الْعَامِ الَّذِي تُوَفِيَ فِيهِ He kind of reflects on this, you know, um, retrospectively. Retrospectively he reflects on this. And he says, فَلَمَّا كَانَ مِنَ الْعَامِ الَّذِي تُوَفِيَ فِيهِ That the year the Prophet ﷺ passed away, the Ramadan prior to his passing, اِعْتَقَفَ عِشْرِينَ يَوْمًا The Prophet ﷺ did i'tikaf for the last 20 days and nights. He doubled it, investing more time into worship, into establishing the masjid. And of course the, the i'tikaf, that's why I keep translating i'tikaf as confining oneself to the space of the masjid. But I do not translate i'tikaf as isolation. Because i'tikaf is not isolation. Isolation would mean, solitude or isolation would mean you don't interact with people. That's not i'tikaf. He would be sleeping and staying in the masjid, he would not leave the premises of the masjid, but five times a day, the masjid was full. And people would pray and he would lead them in prayer. And he would talk to them and answer their questions and teach them. Read Qur'an with them. So it was also a way, but think about it, right? If somebody is staying in the masjid day and night for 10 days or 20 days, they're gonna have more time to teach people. They're gonna have more time to pray with people. They're gonna have more time to answer people's questions. Because you're dedicated for that purpose. You're confined to that space. So it also served the wisdom of the Prophet ﷺ being even more available to anyone who needed anything from him, particularly spiritually, prior to his departure. So you had all these different things that were occurring, all kind of building towards the same idea. Not only that, but similarly,
It's narrated, Muhammad ibn, ibn Ishaq, the famous scholar of the Sirah, the historian, he narrates and he documents that when the Prophet ﷺ came back from Hajjatul Wida, now let's pick up from where we left off the timeline. Now that we've kind of grasped that this, there was a lot of things leading up to this moment. There was a lot of momentum leading up to here. When the Prophet ﷺ returned back, he, there was the end of the month of Dhul Hijjah. So he came back to Medina and stayed in Medina. And it was almost, you know, as the expression goes, for lack of a better expression, it was business as usual, meaning the daily activities resumed the remainder of the month of Dhul Hijjah, then the month of Muharram, then the month of Safar. And the first few days of the month of Rabi'ul Awwal. The first few days of the month of Rabi'ul Awwal. Things basically resumed and things were going on as usual. There were definitely a couple of things that stuck out. Like we, said, like we talked about, there were a few of these things. And along with these things, there was also the fact that the Prophet ﷺ definitely did seem older. There were signs of age. A little bit slower in his step. When he sat down, it took him a little bit longer to get back up. When the, the Prophet ﷺ was always a very active and you know, physically fit person. And even now for his age, he was extremely you know, active. But still, like 10 years ago, the Prophet ﷺ would walk all around Medina. When he wouldn't go out to Quba once a week on Saturdays, he would walk. But now when the Prophet ﷺ needed to kind of go around Medina, he'd had the donkey that he would ride, kind of needing some transportation. So there were definitely those things, but for the most part, activities resumed. And then about seven days a week, the Prophet ﷺ kind of you know, mentioned this, the Prophet ﷺ passed away on a Monday morning. It was the 12th of the Hijjah, it was a Monday morning. So about a week prior to that, late Sunday night or early Monday morning, that night, between Sunday and Monday, that night, the Prophet ﷺ, there was a very particular moment. The Prophet ﷺ used to wake up an hour and a half, two hours before the Fajr prayer, depending on the season. Anywhere from an hour and a half to two and a half hours. During the summertime, of course, it'd be the nights are shorter. So it'd be maybe about an hour and a half or so. During the winter time, the nights are longer. So it'd be like two and a half hours. Nevertheless, he would wake up about two hours, you know, before Fajr time. And the Prophet ﷺ, when he woke up this night, he woke up a little bit earlier than expected. So if it was normally around two hours, he woke up like an extra half hour early, or four, an hour early, three hours before Fajr. And especially due to the age, first of all, generally speaking, the Prophet ﷺ was a very strong proponent of the buddy system. Especially when they would go out on the different expeditions and campaigns and military campaigns and things like that, the travel, during travel, the Prophet ﷺ strict advice so all the companions was, nobody should, you know, because when they would need to use the restroom, 
They didn't have like restrooms in the facilities. So what they would do is they would have to kind of go out into the bushes or the woods or something like that. So the Prophet ﷺ very strictly had instructed everyone, nobody should ever wake up at night and go out on their own. It's just not safe. There's no one to know if an accident occurs or anything like that. So always have a buddy. Take a buddy with you, have a buddy system. So the Prophet ﷺ, when he would wake up at you know, two, three hours before Fajr, two hours before Fajr at night, 4 a.m., there, there would usually be somebody waiting for the Prophet ﷺ. Who would go with him? Abdullah bin Mas'ud, Abdullah bin Abbas, Abu Huraira, Usama ibn Zayd. These types of companions would be waiting for him. Particularly now that the Prophet ﷺ was at a more advanced stage and he could use some assistance, someone would always be waiting for him. And they would have his shoes, they would have his st staff, like a walking stick, and they would have some water in like a bucket or a jug already prepared and ready. So the person who was, whose turn it was to get the opportunity to be with the Prophet ﷺ, that tahajjud, his name was Abu Muwayhiba. Abu Muwayhiba. Now Abu Muwayhiba, he was, he used to be a slave who had become Muslim. And the Prophet ﷺ personally arranged for his freedom from slavery. The Prophet ﷺ personally had arranged setting him free from slavery. So the Prophet ﷺ freed him personally. So that's why whenever like someone, like let's say that, you know, Zayd was freed from slavery by Khalid. So from that day forward, Zayd would be known as Zayd Mawla Khalid. And Khalid would be known as Mawla Zayd. They would have a relationship going forward. And so that's why Bilal was Mawla Abi Bakr. And Abu Bakr was Mawla Bilal. Zayd, the adopted son of the Prophet was known as Zayd, Mawla Rasulullah So Abu Muwayhiba also very proudly was known as Abu Muwayhiba Mawla Rasulullah So he was waiting for the Prophet that day. And Abu Muwayhiba, he says the Prophet came out a little earlier than I expected. But luckily, I was already awake and preparing, and he called for me. And then the Prophet ﷺ said something out of the ordinary. He didn't get up earlier to go use a restroom. He said, "Inni umirtu, inni qad umirtu an astaghfira li ahli hadha al-baqiyah, fantaliq ba'i." After using the restroom, making wudu and whatnot, he then said to Abu Muhibba, "Oh Abu Muhibba." I have been commanded, which means God has instructed me, to go and visit the inhabitants of this graveyard. And he pointed, he gestured towards what we know as Al-Baqir, or Jannatul Baqir, which was known before as Baqir Gharqad. It was the graveyard of Medina. That is there till today. Now of course, it's quite astounding. The, the masjid of the Prophet ﷺ has grown and expanded to the point where 
where the premises of the masjid, meaning the whole area, the courtyard of the masjid and everything, where the premises ends, the graveyard begins. But of course at that time, that graveyard was on the outskirts of the city. And that's why when you visit today, historically, the compound of the masjid, the courtyard and the surrounding areas of the masjid, are basically about as big as Medina used to be. Right? The core of the city of Medina. There were neighborhoods on the outskirts of Medina, but that was like what was considered the core of Medina. Pre-Islamically Yathrib. Alright? So the Prophet ﷺ pointed towards Al-Baqir, where many Muslims were buried, many of the companions were buried, and many of the family members of the Prophet ﷺ were also buried. Right? The daughters, three of the daughters of the Prophet ﷺ were buried there. Zainab, Umm Kuthum, Ruqayyah. The son, the last child of the Prophet ﷺ, Ibrahim, was also buried there. So the Prophet ﷺ gestured there and he said, I have been commanded to visit the inhabitants of that graveyard. So come with me. So he says, I went with him. And he says, when the Prophet ﷺ arrived there, there is a dua, a supplication that you say when you visit the graveyard. The Prophet ﷺ said a variation of that. There are many variations. He said, Assalamu alaikum ya ahl al-maqabir. There are many variations. Assalamu alaikum ya ahl al-qubur, so on and so forth. He said, peace be upon you, O inhabitants of these graves. And then he said something very deep, very powerful. He said, لِيَهْنِ لَكُمْ مَا أَصْبَحْتُمْ فِيهِ مِمَّا أَصْبَحَ النَّاسُ فِيهِ He said, you are in a better place than we are. The gist of it is, you are in a better place than we are. And he said, أَقْبَلَتِ الْفِتَنُ كَقِطَعِ اللَّيْلِ الْمُظْلِمِ He said, some very dark times are ahead. Some very dark times are ahead. He said, يَتْبَعُوا آخِرُهَا أَوَّلَهَا One, you know, situation or one, you know, tragedy will lead into the next one. Difficulties are on the horizon. Tough times are ahead. One leading into the other. Al-akhiratu sharr min al-ula. And each tragedy will seem to be worse than the previous one. Not only will those tragedies grow worse, but also the people will have a harder time in dealing with those tragedies as time goes on as well. Thumma aqbala ali. Thumma aqbala aliya. Then he said, Abu Muwahiba the companion of the Prophet ﷺ on that night, he says after saying this, and he's hanging on every word out of the mouth of the Prophet ﷺ. that's why he's relaying every word to us. He says, then he turned to me, and he said, Ya Aba Muwahiba, O Muwahiba, Inni qad utitu mafatiha khaza'in dunya wal khulda fiha, thumma al-jannah. He said, O Muwahiba, God granted me the, op- the opportunity to have the keys to all the treasures of this world and to live in this world till the end of the world and then go to paradise. So number one, option number one, door number one, 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave me the option that I will have access to unlimited resources. I will live till the end of this world and then go to paradise. فَخُيِّرْتُ بَيْنَ ذَلِكَ وَبَيْنَ لِقَاءِ رَبِّي وَالْجَنَّةِ And then he gave me a second option. Door number two. The second option, door number two is that I can go back now to meet my Lord, meet my Creator, and then go to paradise. So I was given two options. Either I live till this world ends, and then go to paradise, of course. Or I return back to my Lord now, and then go to paradise. So he said, he said this to me. So Abu Muayyiba says, I just couldn't restrain myself. And I said, Biabi anta wa ummi. I would sacrifice everything for you. I would give up my mother and my father for you, O Messenger of Allah. I would give up everything for you. Khud mafatiha khazain al dunya wal khuldafiya thummal jannah. Please take option number one. Don't leave us. Don't leave us. Please take option number one. قَالَ لَا وَاللَّهِ يَا أَبَا مُوَيْهِبَ He said, no, dear friend. No, no, no. He said, فَقَدْ اِخْتَرْتُ لِقَاءَ رَبِّ وَالْجَنَّةِ I have chosen to go back and meet my Lord and then go to paradise. <clears throat> then the Prophet ﷺ made dua for the forgiveness of the inhabitants of Al-Baqi'ah, the people who had passed away. And then he turned back. He turned back to come back home. And Abu Muwayhiba says, فَبُدِي أَبِي رَسُولَ اللَّهِ And from that same morning, started the illness and the sickness of the Prophet ﷺ, that basically would eventually, that he would pass away in. That started the departure of the Prophet ﷺ. And he goes on to say, فَمَا لَبِثَ بَعْدَ ذَلِكَ إِلَّا سَبْعَنَ وَثَمَانِيًا حَتَّى قُبِذًا The Prophet ﷺ lived for another week. Now, well, we're going to go ahead and pause here and stop here for today due to Salat al-Isha inshaAllah. But, what we're going to be talking about um, over the next couple of sessions is that last week of the life of the Prophet ﷺ, what transpired during that week. There are many amazing, fascinating, powerful conversations, interactions that the Prophet ﷺ had during that last week of his life. So we'll be talking about that. And that will eventually lead us into the discussion of the actual passing of the Prophet ﷺ. And then, while as a part of this particular series, we're not going to just continue on to the, to the Khulafa Rashidin, but what we will talk about is what 
how was the departure and the passing of the Prophet ﷺ handled? How was it managed? And what were the next few days in the immediate aftermath of the passing of the Prophet ﷺ like? So that's what we'll be talking about over the next few sessions. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us all the ability to practice everything we've said and heard. Subhanallah bihamdihi, subhanakallahu bihamdik, nashhadu an la ilaha illa anta, nasaqfiruka wa natubu ilayki.